Well, dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Well, I don't know if you're aware of this, but we've entered into a new church year. This is like Happy New Year's, except for the church. So we begin a church year with the first Sunday of Advent, of which this is. It also marks a movement from one gospel set of readings to another. We've gone from year C, which we've been in for almost my entire time here, and now we have moved into cycle A. So we've moved from the Gospel of St. Luke to the Gospel of St. Matthew. So the church, in its great wisdom, uh, made Advent uh, the second really large church season. Sunday in the, in the early church was always Easter. Every Sunday, week after week, it was a celebration of Easter. It was a retelling of the story of the Passion. And then Christ's crucifixion and his death and then his burial and then to be raised. If you've ever gone to an Orthodox worship service, they take about three hours because they tell that story every week. That's what they do in an Orthodox church. It is a retelling of that story. So that was the norm. And then early on, certainly by the end of the first century, uh, Lent is established. And it becomes this kind of church-wide entrance into, the, into baptism. So the, the last 30 or 40 days before Easter, the actual celebration of Easter Sunday uh, would be a time of fasting, of study, prayer. Um, it was a time of catechesis. And then you and your family would be baptized early in the morning as the sun was breaking on Easter morning. But Advent, Advent, this season of waiting, is established early in the 400s. By now, most of the church is celebrating Christ's birthday on December 21st. And so four weeks have been set aside again for fasting and preparation of actually just waiting. And I think about the early church and how it struggled with with the whole notion of waiting, not that we're any better at it, but we can hear in Paul's letters, if you read them not in uh, size order, but in chronological order, you can hear the struggles of the, of the early church. Because clearly in St. Paul's uh, writings, certainly in the, the letter to the Galatians, there's no doubt in Paul's mind that Jesus is probably coming back at noon today. And if he's late, it'll be this afternoon. But tomorrow is, that's way too long. But we know that Jesus is returning. And it's going to be in short and certain order. And then as you move through the years and finally the decades in Paul's writing, you arrive in Romans, which I think is the last. And there's still this notion that Christ's return is imminent, but it's probably not going to be today. It might be tomorrow and maybe next week. But now they're struggling with the whole idea of how do we finally, what do we teach? What, how do we pass on the faith? Some of the, some of the very eyewitnesses now of Jesus Christ, those that had walked with him and, and listened to him, not just the 12 apostles, but all those others now are starting to die of natural age. So what are we going to teach? 
And then finally, when those disciples began to die off, all of them martyred for the faith except for John, now we have, now we have real issue because here's the apostles. And so we take the good news of Jesus Christ from oral and we need to get it into writing. And we know for sure that Mark's gospel is the very first one written. Sometime probably in the 60s, maybe as late as 70. But here is a need by the community to, to record those images, those stories that were important, that had been shared with the communities as the apostles had done their work. So we think that St. Peter is the one talking to Mark as he writes the gospel. And for sure, we know that both Matthew and Luke have that gospel in front of them as they begin to tell the story from their place. So here we now are, not in Luke anymore, now we're in Matthew. And he has a very different community than Luke's community. We understand as as you read the text that he lives in primarily a Jewish community, that the Christians that are there uh, grew up in that Jewish faith. But they're all struggling now, struggling with this waiting. And the text that we have is this, in some ways, I think a very helpful word. Because for sure, Matthew and Luke are writing their gospels down somewhere between 70 and 90. So we're now 50 to 60 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven. That's a lot of waiting. That is a lot of waiting. So how are we going to teach? What are we going to represent? How are we going to share Jesus in this written document? So Matthew wants you to understand that Jesus is the new Moses. He's the bringer of the new law, which is to love your neighbor, not just like you love yourself, but as I have loved you and to show mercy. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, there are five great teachings, just like Moses had five great teachings. You know the one, the first one, the best, the Sermon on the Mount. But there are four others in that Gospel. And Jesus is this great teacher in the Gospel of Matthew, just like Moses was, as he brings the law once again. But here is this notion about waiting and why would Jesus need to warn the community? Well, because there's all kinds of people in that day that are telling folks either that I'm the one, I'm Jesus, because now by this many years, this many decades after Christ's ascension, there had to have been communities that, what? Didn't have any eyewitnesses anymore. There was no one in that community that had actually laid eyes on Jesus. So it'd be easy enough for one person to say, well, I'm him, that's me, I've got this great news for you. Or you could have people that would come and inform them that I've done all the work, I've done the math, and I know what day it is, I know when Christ is going to come back. But here's Jesus talking to his disciples. No one knows the time. Not even me. Angels in heaven don't know it. But not even me. The only one that knows when I will return is the Father. So what do we do while we're waiting? Well, we've, in my lifetime, as I said just a couple weeks ago, we've had any number of individuals who have 
shared the good news, at least from their perspective. I know the day and the time, and I can, I'm going to convince you of it. And so throughout my life, there have been folks, communities of faith, that have listened to those teachers. They've sold all their possessions. Several of them moved up into the mountains. I guess that helps to be closer, you know. And then I always think about how embarrassing it was when you have to come back down off the mountain because we've just passed right through those dates. Waiting is hard. It's, I hate waiting. I'm not very good at it at all. When I was a little boy, when we hit Thanksgiving, we entered a decade of waiting to get to Christmas. At least that long. Every day was a torture. And we would have children meetings trying to convince our mother who was as hardcore as you could get. She was like a Marine Corps sergeant. No, you're not opening a present early. Come on! It was just lovely for me as now a grandfather to have some grandchildren run through the house this past week and to listen to them trying to convince their parents to open a gift early. I thought, I know where that DNA came from. <laughs> We're not good at waiting, are we? I mean, you think about those big moments in our lives of an expected child, of a wedding, of a baptism, of a gathering of the family. We want it to get here. I've sat with families as troops were going to be deployed. And as those days approached when their sons, their fathers, their mothers, their daughters were going to get on a truck and a bus and leave home and go off to war. I know what that waiting feels like. And I've sat with those families as they've anticipated their loved one's return of what that kind of waiting feels like. So what does it mean for the church to set aside four weeks of waiting this one is principally surrounded and directed at Christ's return. What do we do while we're waiting? Well, any number of us want to just sit down and drink coffee. But we have work to do. Matthew has Jesus telling us that we really do have work to do. There are disciples that need to be made. Faith that needs to be shared and lived out. Words spoken in love and care so that a community might be formed and held together. Right now, you're waiting for Pastor Jason to arrive. Some of you want to just take this month off because you're waiting for that new leader to come. And then, boy, now we'll, well, we'll let him get to work, right? That's always the hope for a new senior pastor, that they'll do everything. Well, it's been the truth in my life. But that's not the way it works. Pastor Jason's coming here to preach and to teach, to administer sacraments, and this lovely phrase from Ephesians, to equip the saints for ministry. And that's all of us. And that's what I've been trying to do with you. I'm firmly a believer that as the saints, we have work to do. It is our responsibility as the people of God to share the good news, both in word and deed, to live out a life that reflects the love that's been poured into us in Jesus Christ, 
The mercy that we've been shown needs to be shared. The mercy that we have received in Jesus is something that we can share with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors. It's hard work, and it helps us to be prepared. If, when we focus on Christ and the work that we have been set to by him, then I think we actually are prepared for Christ's return because we will not just be sitting drinking coffee and eating bonbons. We will be doing the work that the community has been doing all these centuries. So during this season of Advent, I, I commend you to that work and to that waiting that you are, as I've told you before, you are the people of God. You are the ones that Christ now depends on. It is your hands, your lips, your body that will share the good news. Amen.